millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning into this Swapcast special edition of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Really, it was me joining my good friend Juan on his podcast, the One on One podcast. So please go over and support Juan right now if you aren't subscribed to his podcast. Do that, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and Make sure you sign up for the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Patreon to hear episodes like this and a bunch of other bonus content wherever you listen, even Spotify. We're now on Spotify, and you help support the show. You help us reach our goal of 250 patrons, and we're going to be doing some very special, very fun, very crazy stuff, and you're only going to be able to see it on the Patreon. So sign up now to be a part of it before it's too late. Thank you, and enjoy me on the one-on-one podcast. Peace. Just kidding. Who is that guy? That's not me. Thank you, folks. I love you all. Now, immerse yourself in the moment during this awesome podcast with one-on-one. They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart? Available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Welcome to the One on One Podcast with your host. Juan Ayala.
What's weird about that is Machu Picchu and New Haven are on the same exact line of line. So when you look at a map, you'll see that South America like juts out sort of closer to Africa than North America is to Europe. South America, the western coast of South America is lined up with the eastern coast of North America. And, and New Haven and Machu Picchu are an exact straight line. And the guy who discovered Machu Picchu, discovered, quote unquote, was from Yale University. So what are the odds that a guy from New Haven finds Machu Picchu and it happens to be dead center on this straight line from this nine square grid that could be potentially put there for a reason. I mean, Machu Picchu is a special place. Maybe that's on the 72nd line of longitude for a reason. There's that seven again, and 72 makes nine. Welcome back to another episode of the One One Podcast. To follow the show on all social media platforms at the101podcast.com or at the101podcast, tjojp.com. All that good stuff. Links are down in the description if you're listening to this on the RSS feed. Make sure you leave a five star review. If you're on YouTube, comment, like, subscribe, share with your friends, etc. etc. Enough talking. Today we have Mystic Mark with us. He is a a regular podcaster with me. We've done probably close to 100 episodes, I think, uh, at this point. Probably close to that. And most of those are on the Patreon. So if you want to check that out, patreon.com slash my family thinks I'm crazy or the one on one podcast. So check that out. And what's up, Mark? How you been, bro? Great, great. I don't, I don't remember. What was the last Illuminati confirmed? Like episode 19 or something? Well, like on the public feed, yeah, I think it was 19. That one never aired. <laughs> and then... So we at least have at least 36 altogether because there was, there was one for each, you know, there was a Patreon for each free episode we put out, and then there were more than that. So, yeah. Last time for... I counted was like over 50, bro. Okay, a well, solid. let's just go with 100. Let's just round it up to 100. But I'm here. I'm ready to roll. I'm happy to be on the one on one podcast. You know, now that affirmative action is over, I got to help you out the best I can, Juan. You know, I'm your I'm your white podcaster friend, so I got to do <laughs> what I can. And uh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, dude, it's the, the Juan to Juan podcast, as Tripoli likes to say, right? <laughs> yeah, one to one, one Tri- Tripoli. Yeah, he he's still learning his ABCs somehow, but that's okay. He's very smart in other ways. Yeah, shout out to Tripoli. So, what's up, dude? What what have you been up to as of lately? I know last time you and I talked, I know you were always delving into skull and bones. I don't know, maybe we'll talk about that, or you, you're always into the history of New Haven, which right as being in Florida, I've always told people to really look around, right? Dive locally into the lore of wherever you are. And you've done that. I've done that. Have you stumbled across any new intriguing finds as of lately? Yeah, it's actually very interesting because 10 months ago, I joined you on this show 
to talk about Skull and Bones. And in the meantime, I made Scene Edition 3, which deals with just my findings of walking around New Haven. I titled it Aesthetic in Strange New Haven. And one thing that just hit me like a couple days ago, and I'm glad we're doing this now, on the cover page of the scene, I show sort of bird's eye view of New Haven, the layout. And I highlighted the nine square grid at the center. That's how New Haven was formed and built around this nine square grid in the center. And only a few weeks ago, it dawned on me, hmm, maybe I should go on Google Earth and measure the perimeter of this square. And go figure, Juan, do you want to guess what number jumped out at me as the perimeter of this square? You want to take a wild guess, a number associated with skull and bones? I th- I know it's not 33. It's close. I know they have a number, but I, I can't remember it. So it's 3,322 meters. Okay, that's the mm-hmm. perimeter of the New Haven square and uh, all nine squares, right? And 322 is Skull and Bones's special number, right? So you have the 33 and the 322 right there in that number. But I just thought, what are the odds of all the numbers that it's 3,322? I mean, what is the perimeter of the nine square grid that 322 Skull and Bones is located within? So, and that's when you do the perimeter hugging the sidewalks so if you were to measure the perimeter in the center of the street that outside perimeter for those four streets Mm -hmm. it would be a little different but i played around with measuring it and i found that 332 number when i hugged the lines directly against the interior sidewalks of the that nine square grid the perimeter of it and yeah it was just kind of baffling You know, I was expecting something like that in a way, but, you know, it should have come up sooner because in my PDF, I kind of explain a lot about the nine square grid and why they chose it. And, you know, for people wondering, you know, why meters while the guy who uh, surveyed the nine square grid was trained at Cambridge. So I don't know if they were using meters back then. I think England uses like feet as well as the United States, but I just thought meters was European for some reason. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm pretty sure that England uses the metric system like the United States. I could be wrong about that, but either way, I think we're the only ones that use the system that everyone right inches and feet. So then, so then, yeah, my supposition is correct that the English person would have used meters and not feet mm-hmm. but uh or rods rather rod i think actually that's what it was it was rods so rods? i don't think google, yeah that's what england i think i think rome created rods and like england carried that measurement on until meters came about you know the standardization of the metric system terribly boring stuff but what the point i'm getting at is is that you can kind of measure anything 
with a certain number system, you know, and get a desired result. Does that make sense? Like you can kind of, depending on what measurement system you're using, you can kind of get closer to what you're, what you're aiming for. So I don't know, maybe this is just like pareidolia on my part where I'm just kind of seeing something that I'm already expect anticipating to see um, by using meters rather than feet or rods or whatever. But I just found it kind of stupendous nonetheless that of all the numbers, this number appeared when I measured the perimeter in meters. So, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that it it might be a sort of synchronicity, right? Because who else do you know that's measured out the perimeter of this area and has come up with that number? And, and with, in your opinion, Mark, do you feel that they, why do you feel they use these numbers? Do you have your own idea or hypothesis as to why they resonate with these numbers? I don't have my own hypothesis, particularly. I, I've heard multiple different theories on why 322 is skull and bones is like special number. The one that stuck in my head is 1832 is the year that they were founded. And according to the lore, Skull and Bones is a second iteration of a German secret society. So by the numbering in Europe, they would have put the date 32 as in the year and then 2 to signify that it was the second chapter. Obviously, Wikipedia there says that it's the only chapter, but uh, that's incorrect. But anyways... Why 322? Some people think it has to do with this guy um, from Greece who uh, was named Demosthenes. And why? There's a whole, you know, sort of lore with that character. I don't particularly buy into that theory. It's not readily available. Here you go. Yeah, number. Yeah, Demosthenes. So this was, okay, the year of his death, right? I personally, I mean, other than him being like a lawyer, I don't particularly see that much overlap in his life and the practices of Skull and Bones. If anything, that's a misdirection um, for the the people like us looking into this because every other piece of evidence seems to point to that last sentence in this paragraph here uh, or this yeah grouping here one legend is that the numbers in the secret society's emblem represent founded in 32 second corps referring to it as a first corps in an unknown german university and that right. word too bro corpse that's <laughs> yeah that's such a weird word and i was on old world florida the other night and we kind of broke that down because the discover the corpse of discovery was who Henry B. Plant has sent in to the Everglades to discover stuff, I guess, right? And mm-hmm. it's like it's corpse. It, it, the, the, it's it, you know some people would say core, but it, it's it's corpse, and it's just a funny, just a funny word, right? Thirty yeah, second corporation, you know, that's where that comes from, corpse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, corporal in the army, corporal experience. I mean, yeah, there's there's a ton there, etymologically speaking. I think skull and bones, 
you kind of hit it right on the nose when you're talking about corpses, right? I mean, skeletons are implied, uh, dead bodies, right? So, yeah, there's this whole underground symbology that you can't get away from with skull and bones. So it's no accident that, that that's what the Wikipedia article says, I'm sure. But when it comes to the city itself, I wondered, you know, okay, are there other examples of these nine square grids in other places, right? And find many. But what I did find is that the Temple of Solomon was supposed to be, um, I guess, measured out in this way, where there were nine separate rooms in a nine square grid. I've heard other descriptions saying that there are that the temple was shaped like a man, right? I don't know if that's the same temple. Maybe those are two conflated descriptions. But you asked why, you know, why these numbers? I think it has to do with proportion in the sense that people have recognized for a long time that there's something magical about mathematics. Now, scientifically, we might explain that away as the Fibonacci series. But even those scientists who recognize that kind of stuff, it seems like they're either a part of two camps. The the camps are people are like, yeah, isn't that novel? And then there's the other camp of people who are like, yeah, and this means God created us, right? And I, I tend to lean towards the latter where I see like the Fibonacci sequence as like proof that consciousness came first and that kind of you know, line of thinking. I think a lot of people that listen to these podcasts tend to think that way. You know, we don't really attract that many atheistic type thinkers. That's more of the liberal mainstream. And that's exactly the type of mindset that was created in these universities. It's exactly what Yale University pumps out is people who are brainwashed with that sort of thing. But, uh, for us listening to this, the unskeptical folks who are more open-minded, not that they're not skeptical, but anyways, enough pandering. I think that the Fibonacci series, mathematics, I mean, you can extrapolate it to any, obviously any measurement, but really any field of research has some aspect of numeration, right? Whether you're counting ducks or you're counting bricks Mathematics is in, inherently a part of everything. So I think that's really what you're looking at when you see these numbers like 322 being used. I mean, 3 and 2 and 2, if you look at it, it's kind of like uh, like a pattern. Like if you put 2 and 2 next to each other and then a 3 on top of it, you know, or the reverse where you have 3 equals 2 and 2 you know, three goes on to two and two This four. So seven, I mean, I think I tend to think that way where these kind of games are going on, where they're reducing numbers to their core value. So three twenty two would really be the number seven because you add those numbers up. What do you get? You get seven. Now you have the nine square grid. That's kind of the whole main point here, right? The ninth square is, the only square in New Haven that really is called that. There's an incredible like sigil in the center square when you look at the paths that 
cut through the park in the center of town. Some people have reached out to me and said, oh, that's Lucifer's sigil. Other people have reached out to me and said, oh, that's the universal hexagram. Other people have said, you know, this is just a straight up pentagram. And there's even graffiti that I found on one of the signs in the park where an artist who was skilled enough to draw a very good um, recreation up here. I'll share my screen and show you. No, that's Amistad Park. Zoom out. Okay, now look right where it says Haven. And this, this is where it says New Haven. How Google Earth says New Haven. Where it's, If you zoom all the way out and it will only say New Haven. Uh-huh. And then you put your pointer right there. Keep zooming out. Right where it says Ninth Square Apartments. Mm-hmm. Put your mm-hmm. now zoom in. Okay, that green, the only green square in the whole city. Oh, what the heck? No, that's Worcester Park. One, go to the left. It's the biggest. No, go up. No north. <laughs> you're not even close to the center. Now you're right there. There you go. Boom. Dude, but that's this is weird too. Look at that. Well, all right. So you got to think like New Haven Green came first. They did this, and then other people were like, "Oh, let's do the same thing," you know. So I, I think there's something to be said about Worcester Square Park. That there used to be a Columbus Christopher Columbus statue in Worcester Square Park that was taken down around the same time that they changed the holiday's name. Um, so maybe there's something to be said there. But yeah, if you look at that. I mean, I have a pretty good picture of the uh, path if you want me to show you the picture. There you go. That, that's pretty clear. But, yeah, just stay right there. Okay. So what you're looking at are three churches. So as New Haven was formed, you got to keep in mind, like, the people that came to New Haven from Boston, like, they had enough money to buy a horse and carriage, put all their stuff in it, and make it to New Haven. You know, this is maybe a couple days journey back then. Right. So not everybody who just jumped off the boat to Boston came down to new Haven. You know, there was a specific party of people who founded it and they were connected to people at Cambridge and Oxford. So from the beginning of new Haven's founding, you know, there were some pretty um, upper echelon people involved. Right. So you have these three churches that are formed here. And they're all facing the east where the sun rises. And they're all now on Temple Street. Previously, the square was just a park space and there was no street bisecting it. But, uh, yeah, those churches are like the oldest extant buildings in New Haven, aside from some Yale um, buildings that are older. These are the oldest, like, concurrent structures they might not be the same materials that were there when the churches were first built but they've been a church has been in that spot longer than you know any other building so you know these are significant to the united states to um, the american revolution in so many ways i mean yale as a university is huge it's a monolithic institution but you're talking about three churches at the center of a nine square grid. Okay. So there's some more math for you. Obviously three and nine fit nicely together. 
But I was looking and I'm like thinking, you know, what's going on with this city square layout? Like, why do this? And maybe the Temple of Solomon has something to do with it. Maybe it's about planning the perfect city, okay? Because this is something that back in the 17th century when these folks like Theophilus Eaton and John Davenport were settling New Haven, when they founded it, they were concerned with creating a utopia so that God would favor them, right? Because back then everybody thought the world was ending. I mean, they still do today, right? So and maybe that that's manufactured to some degree because of uh, what that does to people psychologically, you know, but that utopian ideal was a part of the New Haven uh, philosophy. And it still is in, in the hearts and minds of like the social justice warriors, like this lie that we can make the world a perfect place. I think like some of this like cult, like weird activity that's going on in mainstream culture, you can't have any of that. If people aren't living under this false assumption that we can have a perfect world. Right. I, I don't know how many people actually believe that, but there's certainly a lot of naive people who are sort of, you know, doing and acting in a way, uh, saying things that allude to making the world perfect place or for them right maybe not for everyone i think a better place is what we should all uh aspire to i'm not being a pessimist or cynic here but yeah it's certainly like one of these carrot on a string ideas that the government religions and other cults use to keep people on a certain path but we're gonna i'm gonna share my screen and show you the nine square grid from a different perspective um and the nine square grid is what we use on our telephones right that's that's how it's laid out is that what you're yeah. referring to when you refer to the, the nine square yeah when you look at the symbol that we use for numbers it's a tic-tac-toe slash three slashes or how yeah is it three slashes no uh four four lines right making that nine square box mm -hmm. it's, it's essentially the same thing just without those perimeter lines and so i have here i, I pulled this so yeah up. that's our that's our symbol in the english lexicon for numbers pulled up here have you ever heard of the nine dots puzzle read it so the nine dots puzzle is a oh, map mathematical puzzle that before when i was a kid whose task is to connect nine squarely arranged points with a pen by four or fewer straight lines without lifting the pen the puzzle has appeared under various other names over the years and and the interesting part about this was that it's connected to christopher's egg and then this is egg of columbus or Columbus's egg refers to a brilliant idea or discovery that seems simple or easy after the fact. The expression refers to an apocryphal, so you're talking about the end of times, apocryphal story dating from at least the 16th century in which it is said Christopher Columbus, having been told that finding a new trade route was inevitable and no great accomplishment, challenges his critics to make an egg stand on its tip. 
After his challengers give up, Columbus does it himself by tapping the end on the table to flatten its tip. Interesting. But then, check this out. Mary Shelley mentions Columbus's eggs in her introduction to the third edition of Frankenstein, writing, in all matters of discovery and invention, even of those that appertain appertain to the imagination, we are continually reminded of the story of Columbus and his egg. Invention consists in the capacity of seizing on the capabilities of a subject and the power of molding and fashioning ideas suggested to it. So we're we're kind of sort of talking about some of the people who are f- fashioning and molding sound, society, right? Yeah, doesn't it sound like they're insinuating that the novel idea was to just tell everybody that Columbus discovered America because that solved all these problems that they had that were keeping them from exploring the new world. (laughs) I mean, that's what I hear when I heard that. Also, I don't know that you can flatten an egg by tapping it on the table. I think that would just break it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a hard, hard world. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe that's, I'm going to piss some people off and get some people really excited. So buckle up. Maybe that's an analogy for the flat earth because he took a orb egg, which some people say the earth is actually shaped like an egg and he flattened it. What does that, what does that say? I got a, I got an announcement for you, bro. I came out of the closet recently. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not a flat earther, but it's, it's not round. You're not married to the ball. Not married to the ball, bro. The, the, neither am I, bro. It's just how it is, dude. You can't, if you're married to the ball in 2023, you're a moron. I'm married to no balls, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> Except Thank you. my own. Thank you. Yes. See, I'm with you there. I'm not married to the ball. I don't think anyone should be. It doesn't mean I'm a flat earther per se, but I'm definitely not married to the ball. Yeah. So, All right. So check this out. This is maybe a clearer image of... Uh, can I zoom in? Yeah, I could zoom in. So this is maybe a clear image of the pattern. If I could get to it. You see that? Yes. So that fountain that you zoomed in on before, that's an eight-sided fountain. That's right here at this center point, if you can see my mouse. Mm-hmm. And any eight-sided structure, I don't know if you've researched Jefferson's uh, octagonal buildings. Have you ever looked into that? Uh, Jefferson, what's his first name? Like Thomas Jefferson? Yeah, the president. Well, no, I haven't. I'll look it up now. Yeah, so Jefferson, uh, even today, there's some, wherever his estate is, he has like this octagonal building on his mansion or whatever, right? And this goes back to this old tradition called the Tower of the Winds. And what's interesting is there's this guy, Court Lindahl, who's connected a bunch of these eight-sided structures on these really big maps and shows how they're built in a way that you can draw straight lines so that they go right along the octagon's angles and connect to one another. Now, if you think about it, I mean, an octagon's a really good shape for that type of geometry. But uh, right here in the center, situated right in front of the center church, is the uh, octagonal fountain. 
So I don't know exactly what else New Haven is connected to on a like memorial, like on a memorial level, like uh, what other monuments are connected to it. But on a sort of broad stroke scale, we can see that New Haven is actually on a ley line that I probably talked about the last time we were doing this show. Um, it goes all the way from Stonehenge down to the pyramids in Teotihuacan, Mexico. So, and every major city on the United States Eastern seaboard for the most part crosses through this line as well. I think I showed you this. You're probably familiar, but Boston, New Haven, New York city, uh, and Philadelphia, Washington, DC, Atlanta, Georgia, New Orleans and then Mexico City so yes we're leaving out some probably important cities along the coast there but I mean of all the cities you're hitting Boston New York City Philadelphia and Washington DC I mean and New Orleans too in a, in a different way I mean these are all pivotal cities when it comes to American history and I think that's really what's going on why Yale University has been so successful is because they've situated themselves on these energy corridors that they then manipulate on a massive scale. And, you know, the they is difficult here because, you know, it's not one single entity or even one single group. It's more of a, like an esoteric impulse. It's sometimes even esoteric to the people acting on the impulse where certain people are connected to, let's say, magic, and then the magic works through them. So they don't necessarily have to be even acknowledging the fact that they are a part of this. Think about it like inspiration to an artist. You could have an artist who thinks, I'm just locked up in my apartment painting and channeling inspiration. You ever wonder maybe that artist has somebody who's tapping into them? who's not an artist and is sending them images because they're psychic or even worse, a group of people who are sort of doing that on a mass scale. You know, I think those kind of things are possible where you have groups of people who are just influential enough in this subtle realm that they can actually manifest their will through other people. And I think the way they do this kind of stuff is by setting up massive, uh, arrangements of structures so that energy human energy flows in a specific or specific specified direction rather than just organically and wildly as it might have um so yeah any questions about that diatribe before i stop sharing my screen real quick go all the way down to it looks like a cow that that bottom picture that you share looks like a cow the head of a cow <laughs> That's the outline of uh, New Haven County. Interesting. Yeah, it looks like the side of a, yeah. like a cattle. Like if you look at it, real oh, no, not not the county. That's just the city. My mistake. So this see, one. Yeah, you see, I get the horns up top, then you know the head of the cow right there, and then the neck. Maybe that's on purpose. I mean, shoot, like, yeah, I'm. So, I I think they had full sort of purview when it came to cr- creating the borders. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. City, and that's what I tell people too. Like, even the layout of 
your city, the counties, area codes, the numbering of highways. That's also very esoteric. And a few things came to mind when you're talking, dude. So I pulled up here. We have Thomas Jefferson's octagon house, right? It's his house laid out in the shape of an octagon. And I haven't read it here, but so he built, had built the secret houses and escaped for, from his then too frequently visited mansion at Monticello, 90, 90 miles to the north. So this idea, and you should really check out the book Pythagorean Palaces because that really breaks down a lot of these concepts. And you, you keep mentioning Solomon's Temple. Well, there is some some elites and I mean, Rudolf II and his family, the Habsburgs, where they all grew up and where they're all buried, which is called the, forgot the name. It's got a Spanish name. Anyways, I'll think of it. It's a Pythagorean palace that's built to the specifications of Solomon's temple. Now, the idea of these Pythagorean palaces is that they want to achieve a higher state of consciousness in that area. Okay, in that building. So it resonates at a certain frequency to elevate their consciousness. El Escorial is the name of the place that they all grew up at and they're all buried at. El Escorial, which is this, this giant palace. And think of it the same way that you can elevate consciousness. You can invert that and you can suppress consciousness. So think about these 15-minute cities that they want to put us in. From an, an occult, esoteric point of view, why do they want to shove us all into these cities? Well, perhaps... They are intentionally suppressing, right? The way it's laid out, the way it's built versus their buildings that is very sacred geometry-esque, right? The You have the Pythagorean palace principles that follow, obviously, Pythagoras. And look at this. This is a universal co-masonry, universalfreemasonry.org. And it's talking about here the theory which ascribes, if not the actual origin of Freemasonry, to Pythagoras. So this is why these secret societies, they right? Euclid's 47th proposition, all these things, they, they reveal there is something to mathematics that they are using and they're, they're using it as a, as a sort of talisman to their advantage. Now, with all that said, I also want to point out, you talked about enthusiasm, right? Of, of Well, enthusiasm actually means to sort of be possessed by this higher power. And you're talking about somebody in their apartment being having some sort of enthusiasm or they're being guided in a sort of in a sort of way well wasn't the alamantra workings with crowley in his apartment in new york or something like just like a regular apartment and they channeled lamb and they saw like some gray entity come through a portal weirder uh i'm pretty sure the the apartment was in so he he did multiple like ritual workings but what he did in Amalantra, the United States was on Long Island um, interesting and some people think that it was at Camp Hero where like the Montauk project happened some decades later uh, I was wondering possibly maybe it was near where Tesla had his Wardenclyffe Tower because those two guys were alive uh, I think at the same time I think they were Mm-hmm. Crowley was just a little younger than him, but uh, he would have known about Tesla, I'm sure. So, yeah, there, there's, there is that. But what, what do you mean? Like, uh, how does that relate? Like, just through like 
their ritual being something that it provoked it like people to be inspired like the hippie movement that kind of thing no no so what i was getting at was the idea of yeah you could quite literally be in your apartment you don't have to be in this ceremonial setting you could be doing something in your own apartment in the privacy of your own home and have contact and one of the things that's always stood out to me dude and i forgot who it was that told me the name of the starbucks or this coffee shop that was across the street from yale but Yale has some really cool artifacts and I pulled up, I, you know, I Googled artifacts at Yale and then this came up. Yale returns Machu Picchu artifacts to Peru and I haven't read it, but apparently had, they had some artifacts. Yeah, so what's weird about that is Machu Picchu and New Haven are on the same exact line. Really? Of so when you look at a map, uh, you'll see that like S- South America like juts out sort of closer to Africa than North America is to Europe, right? So South America, the western coast of South America is lined up with the eastern coast of North America, right? So, yeah, and and New Haven and Machu Picchu are an exact straight line, and the guy who discovered Machu Picchu, discovered, quote-unquote, was from Yale University. So what are the odds that a guy from New Haven... (laughs) finds Machu Picchu and it happens to be dead center on this straight line from like this nine square grid that could be potentially put there for a reason. I mean, Machu Picchu is a special place. Maybe that's on the 72nd line of uh, longitude for a reason. There's that seven again and 72 makes nine. So what are the odds that the nine square grid is on the 72nd line of lati- uh, longitude, right? So, <laughs> so I, I... look at this. So here, Inca human remains were amongst the first artifacts in Yale's collection to be returned, repatriated yeah. to Peru, arriving, I've never seen that word before, to the first three shipments. So, okay, keep this in mind, right? We know about skull and bones well there's a lot of interesting books as well at yale dude and Mm. one of these books that has stood out to me right they have the rothschild's canticles they have the voynich manuscript and they have other they have other manuscripts too i was just looking up here and i think there's you want to know where they put those books you want to see what the building looks like because that should blow your mind really is it juicy it's weird. Well, I guess it's weird when you know what we know. But, uh, what, what do we know, Mark? <laughs> we know a lot. So my, my hypothesis is, Mark, that so you're talking about people who are quite literally at the forefront of the world, right? A lot of the most influential people have gone to this school and I think that has something to do with if you have a right, alchemy, if you have a combination, it's the manipulation of symbols on a physical level as much as a symbolic level. So if you have a certain group of texts, right, I like this idea of interdimensional literature that resonates on uh, throughout history and shapes reality. Well, what if you get a, a, a library of that, right? Like John D had the biggest library in, in Europe at one point. Well, what if you have all these weird books? Like, you know, what the Voynich manuscript, a book that, again, 
supposedly Edward Kelly used to conjure the spirit to lead him to gold or, or treasure as, as the story goes. But then what if you're able to turn that around and kind of resonate it in the ether and check this book out, bro. This book is called the Rothschild's Canticles and it's supposed to be a prayer book again by owned by the Rothschilds, but check this out, bro. Cause it gets really weird towards the end here. I want you to have see you. The- have you ever seen this, uh, Buscara solar Buscara tarot card deck? No, it sounds familiar though. Check- I might not be remembering the correct name, but apparently people either the Rothschilds or people similar to them made this tarot card deck with all these demonic images on it and that's kind of what I'm looking like not that these are necessarily demonic yet you haven't showed me one that looks that way yet but they do have the same art style and layout of the tarot card designs where it's like the scale of the people and then the the like kind of well, check check this out bro yeah. This art gets pretty weird and it's a what it's supposed to be is it's supposed to be illustrating the Trinity Bible. from the Bible? From the Yeah, this is a prayer book and what you're these are all mandalas, bro. So mm-hmm. the the purpose of this book is to aid you in meditation to become to unite with God, right? So look at this, bro. Look how, look how bizarre this art is. Almost like a like a Cthulhu butthole tentacle god look at that it looks like i mean yeah look at this dude this is so bizarre when i came across this i'm like okay and then who owns it (laughs) only only one of the more most powerful families in the history of ever and i think books hold the key dude i think that writing things down i've always said this solidifies this sort of man like i've dude i've heard grimoires where you write a spell down you wash the ink away, you drink the ink to gain the magical powers, right? This water with the ink in it, and you're supposed to do some crazy stuff with it. Like, I think it's writing down, and then look, at you have like these chimeras and this this weird imagery. You have like this long creature chimera, these monstrosities in here, but yet it's a, look at this. It's supposed to be a book of prayer to aid you in meditation, contemplation, and you're supposed to go into these images to meditate and become one with with the Godhead, or whatever that may mean. <laughs> but what a bizarre book, bro! The, the imagery is so fascinating. I find it so interesting. Yeah, uh, it looks, you know, like typical. And that's medieval. a Yale too. Look at that. That that a what? You know what a Yale is? A, a mythical creature. There's a mythical creature called a Yale. Yeah, bro, check it out. I've so, never heard this one. Yeah, so a Yale is... Are you sure you're pronouncing that the right way? So Yale mythical creature, or a, huh. a, a Yali, oh, wow. or a centicore, is this weird-looking thing. Yeah, well, that's... I don't know how you would pronounce it any other way. Yeah, that's a Yale. <laughs> we'll, we'll pronounce it Yalis. Yales. A Yales is supposed to be this horn mythological creature... Again, that is, look, Ialis, so okay. other common names, Ialis, Centicores, Ibex, so mm. antelope or goat-like creature with the tusk of a boar and large horns in European mythology. So we have it on these crests, very weird. But if you look at real quick at this thing here, that kind of looks like a Yale. 
and then you have wait, the... wait, wait. Go back to that last one. It says right there that serves as a supporters above the gate of St. John's College at Cambridge. And and Cambridge is where the founders, some of the founders of New Haven were educated and you know, Harvard came before Yale, so a lot of the guys who started Yale were from Harvard. But um wow, that's incredible. I never heard of this. I have you ever heard of a Oryx or a Markor or a or Manticore? A, no, no, no. These are real animals, not <laughs> mythical. Uh, oryx. An oryx looks exactly like what these pictures are. And, you know, back in the medieval time, medieval period, people from Europe who never had been to Africa or the Middle East, they would see images of these kind of African creatures. And, you know, it just fed into the folklore of other places being filled with like weird monsters, which I mean, a lion and an elephant and a hippo, I mean. If you've only ever seen squirrels and birds and fucking bears, yeah, a lion and a and a crocodile and you know these African creatures are gonna seem like monsters. So, yeah. I guess that that could be partly an explanation, but that's not nearly as fun as wondering how a mythical being became the name of the second largest university. As in terms of finances in the United States. Well, where do, according to the mainstream history, where does the name Yale originate from? Do they actually have a name? Uh, was it a yeah. family or what? Yeah. So there's a, a guy named Eli who Yale, who upon Yale's founding, he was, he never really even spent any time in America, even though he was born in Boston, he spent most of his time in India and he was like a slaver drug trader Dutch East India British East India type guy right the British East India corporation I think is where he worked for but yeah Elihu Yale had like a nephew back in New Haven and he reached out somebody reached out and said hey can you send us some money uh for this but uh yeah it's interesting you know the another thing came up on a different podcast that the porcelain club at Harvard uses a hog's head as their symbol. And uh, if you go back to that last page, you'll see that the hog is being used in the Yale coat of arms, uh, albeit a hog that's like, you know, caught and trapped. But I don't know what that is an allusion to, but it is interesting. You see that boar, the, the hog, like, that seems to be a symbol that comes up a lot within these groups. But, um, yeah. What, 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 how did we get into that again? I had something else I was going to say. This is giving me very Dr. Eggman's Island mm. vibes and Dr. Eggman, yeah. right? A lot of people wrote on his plane and also dude, if you ever want to, I know you don't do a lot of YouTube stuff, but paranoid American and I have, I've worked on this, occultdeco.com and it's a Dimatria calculator and also it can give you replacement words for words that are pinged on ban happy platforms so make sure to check that out at occultdecode.com for those that want to 
be alchemical because that's one of the aspects of this bro these dudes are alchemists and they're sh they're shrouding their places in mystery and with symbols they're speaking with symbols because again only the initiates are going to understand what's happening and i love using wicked idea or wikipedia as a base for a lot of my research because that's going to be the exoteric that's what they're going to show everyone and usually when anyone's looking something up the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to go to wikipedia and i always remember i always remember in school my teacher would be like you can't use wikipedia as a source right you can't you you can't use it's got to be a dot org or else i remember that yeah okay so just keep that in mind i've never used wikipedia as a source on any of my well now wikipedia is like now wikipedia is like the big bad guy because it's like censoring shit but i remember that what you just described and i was mm -hmm. i when i was a kid i'm like fuck you teach the Wik wikipedia is <laughs> great like i just learned like 30 things in 30 minutes here in this stupid computer class just by clicking from one my favorite thing is you go to through a wikipedia page and there's like 30 other Wikipedia pages linked in just one. So mm -hmm. you could just keep learning, learning, learning from one to another. Try doing that with an encyclopedia. You'll get tired. You can't flip through no. that many pages. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, I've talked about this way too much. There used to be a website called StumbleUpon. You ever remember? You ever use that website, no. Juan? StumbleUpon? No. Oh, it was the best. It was like a random shuffle button for the internet and you just every time you wanted to see a new website you just hit shuffle and it would take you to a new place and dude it was incredible like they had a filter for conspiracies so it would only take you to conspiracy websites it was the best so yeah that and those days of wikipedia are gone now it's all censored and cucked out. I actually just learned about something called the SPC. Have you ever heard of this? It's like a Wikipedia fan fiction thing where the guys in Wikipedia, they like make up these like paranormal things. It's very hard to explain. It's like kind of like meta, I guess you would say. What? Uh, but yeah, it's like they per they're like LARPing as like X-Files detectives in the Wikipedia servers. So like, you know, I, I don't know what that entails, but to me, when I was reading it, I almost felt like this is a psyop, like to have a convenient excuse to just say like, oh no, that Wikipedia page about Chupacabra was actually just a prank by these guys who like to LARP, you know? So if like the hat man, another hat man comes up on the internet, they can just you know, creepy pasta it away and nobody believes it because they just think it's weirdos doing creepy pastas on the internet. Which I got there's a lot of those, but yeah. Yeah, but you know, when it comes to certain things, like it's very convenient, right? To to have like a straw man, I don't know if that's the right term, uh, to replace the real actual thing that's getting attention that you the all present they doesn't want any attention on but anyways we were talking about the voynich manuscript and maybe you didn't find out just like i had no idea the rothschild uh handy codex what the hell was that candidates the rothschild's <laughs> canticles the oh the canticles that's a weird word 
So I didn't know about the Rothschild Canticles, but maybe you didn't know that in that same library that has the Voynich Manuscript and the Canticles, uh, they have the world's oldest Bible, and they oh. also have uh, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is not something that was ever in libraries, because what the Egyptian Book of the Dead was for was for dead people. They literally wrote the book <laughs> for dead people. So How to navigate the realm, the yeah. Yeah, they, it was a user manual to the afterlife, and they would stick it into the coffin, and then off you go. Here's your user guide written by people who aren't dead. So <laughs> probably turn out to be like an Ikea manual, but either way, that's what's kind of interesting is they have these clearly grave-robbed goods, uh, the Egyptian Book of the Dead. I mean, not that they've hid that at all there's tons of stuff that was grave robbed in the 19th century from egypt a lot of it got put at yale in their museums and their library here and this library has this really incredible gas inside of it so if there's ever a fire the oxygen will be removed from the building in a like a split second and it will be replaced by this gas that's not flammable so it would preserve any of the documents in the rare chance that there's a fire inside. So the whole building is deadly. Like the building can kill you. Let's say you're a security guard and somebody throws a match on a book. Everybody in that building's going to die to preserve those billions of dollars worth of books, right? So that's kind of what you're looking at. It's kind of shaped like a coffin, but it also kind of... <laughs> I guess you'd call it a kill box rather than a coffin. But uh, one thing that I kind of was drawn to is the the building itself kind of looks like some of the, these rock structures that I've been finding all over New England where you have several small boulders holding up one giant boulder, right? Do you see those, uh, that like side of it right there? The um, I forget what it's called. Actually, I have a comparison to it right here. Yeah. So it's almost a pedestal. Like it's on like four pedestals, just like these pedestal boulders that some researchers say were built by Vikings or Celtic people who were here a long time ago. It's kind of balanced even. It gives you this like illusion that there's nothing there holding it up. Um, Interesting. And then right next to... right next to this kind of incredible oh the other thing that's notable about the library is these side they're made out of a stone that has just enough opacity to let light in so these stones are kind of like instead of glass they have the stones there because you got to preserve those books right um, and all next to Asama Noguchi's underground sculpture garden, bringing back this whole underground atmosphere. Uh, the underground you know, implies where people are buried. It also impro- implies like the esoteric, the hidden, the secret, right? And right next to the library, you can't even see it if you're looking at a picture of the library, but see where this person is standing right here? Mm-hmm. That wall next to them? If they were to look over the wall and look down, 
they would see this sculpture garden here. And Asama Noguchi, he's an interesting artist. He's from Japan. Um, well, he's Japanese from America, excuse me. He built Detroit's Heart Plaza, um, which is a whole, there's a whole rabbit hole there that my friend Chad Stemke researched and uh, wrote a book about. I, I don't know if you've had him on one-on-one podcast, but Chad was a dude that was doing Esoteric America with me while we were still doing that show. But, um, yeah, this is kind of interesting. The underground garden, the pyramid represents the earth. The circle there represents the sun or life, you know, and then this cube on its side represents time and chance and how everything's intertangled together in this kind of matrix that you see on the bottom there with the tiles. This is all right there next to the Voynich manuscript, the Rothschild stuff. And this is some Noguchi guy. Like he's built these really ritualistic type sculptures or a who's who of some of the wealthiest people in the world. You know, I mean, obviously the materials he's working with are very expensive, but I think that's really the minimal of why they're approaching him for his work. They're interested in the spiritual aspects of what he's got going on mm-hmm. with his art. And it's right here mm-hmm. in the Hewitt, Quan- Hewitt Quadrangle. And this building right here that, is kind of across from the library. This is now called the Schwartzman Center, and it's named after Stephen A. Schwartzman, the CEO of BlackRock, the military <laughs> investment company. So, yeah, like this is all connected, bro. And BlackRock, I mean, you know, the black stone from the, the Kaaba, right? You know, the, the whole alchemy, the white stone and the black stone, right? And they have this story. Oh, well, my last name means black and his last name means stone. So we put our last names together to create the Blackstone Corporation. That's a load of bullshit. Have you heard and, of the Blackstone uh, at the North Pole that John D. wrote about? Mercator wrote about? No, but maybe it's connected to the Blackstone that the Muslims worship, right? I mean, isn't that supposedly a big black cube? Right. So a few things that uh, you've pointed out. So this is the Rupus Niagara. I always get scared saying that word, but it's a supposedly right. Mercator wrote to John D about it and it's 33 French miles and it's supposed to be at the North Pole to magnetic black rock. There's some lore behind it. It's got this crazy vortex going around it as well and dude that that library that you showed me is giving have you ever seen the belco experiment movie no it's giving me major belco experiment movies and what the, what this building is because you said it unalive it could unalive you well this is an experiment that they're conducting people go in and the entire building shuts down and people have to fight for survival within it and look at just look at the layout of it it kind of looks like that that place that you that you sent me there and again it's this whole movie on it but yeah the idea that there so i'm sure that everything that you've talked about 
Mark, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, right? The the layout of those those sculptures, the the meanings behind them. There's the, I'm sure that the the Black Rock guy owning the the dome there or whatever it is, the tower. I'm sure that's all just a coincidence. I'm sure it has nothing to do with it. But check it out again. What if they align all these things? You remember Dragon Ball Z with the Dragon Balls and how have you got what was it? Nine Dragon Balls, was it? Was it nine? All I remember was, was Kamehameha, bro. I did not watch Dragon Ball Z. I'm sorry. Oh well, hey, you, you <laughs> broke up there. Series. You broke up there for a second. You sound like a robot. You're like, oh, you catch that? I, I, I remember was drag, and I'm just kidding. But yeah, you're, you're back now. But uh, I said. Let me look up how many Dragon Balls it was. Okay. But this idea of collecting, it was, let's see here. The Dragon Ball. The name say the Dragon Ball. Say the orange crystalline spheres with the ability to call forth the eternal dragon. And there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think it's seven in total or something. Anyways, this has been, I mean, at least ingrained in my psyche as a kid. If you collect all the artifacts, look at was it indiana jones and the crystal skulls and there's the lore if you collect all the crystal skulls then you'll i don't know what happens if you collect all the crystal skulls but i think it'd be maybe you summon a dragon right if we get all the crystal skulls together which they've run the numbers and they've done the history on them they don't know where they came from or how they were made but they kind of sort of exist it's like this weird artifact well again i think that you can also do that with books and symbols, right? If you have a, a, a certain connection or a layout of symbols similar to what you were so showing there, the the circle, the churches are facing a certain way towards the sun. I think it all goes back to sun worship, Mark, and the idea of the sun being a portal to another dimension. And the sun is actually a, a keyhole, right? A, a pinhole in which we're observing something or something is observing us. Like what if... The sun is God, right? We're being observed by God, essentially, through this through this hole in the sky or whatever it is. You know what I mean? That's that goes back to the whole utopia idea, and like that, you know, we're all being sort of ever presently watched by God, and He's going to pass judgment on us, right? I I, I don't have any trouble like believing that, you know we're culpable for our actions. Like there are consequences to our actions, but I don't necessarily think that like the world being created by a consciousness, AKA God also has to mean that God is always watching us. Right. I'm not saying like go wild and do whatever. Right. No, not, not at all. But I think that idea has been like a control mechanism and whether it, harkens back to something else maybe like nephilim or like archangels or demigods you know controlling and meddling in the affairs of humans maybe it goes back to that and it's kind of like a genetic memory where we remember these other cultures that were like screwing with us i don't know but i i do see it in the artwork with new haven there's this one woodcut drawing that i found of the Ouroboros as the frame of the picture and then reaching out from the clouds there's a hand with a compass 
you know, not a compass with a needle, but two needles, like the type of compass used to draw a circle. And it's just very interesting because obviously New Haven is a square, not a circle. So why would there be a compass coming down from the sky? Well, they're circling the square. That's Freemasonry. And it's kind of interesting because New Haven was technically founded way before Freemasonry ever existed. Uh, technically, Freemasonry began in 1717 or 1701. I forget which number. But Yale, coincidentally, was founded in 1701, and their building was fi- their first school building was finished being constructed in 1717. Not to mention that the Freemason Lodge in New Haven is one of the oldest lodges in the United States and has held membership of guys like uh, Benedict Arnold, um, Nathan Hale, and. <clears throat> Actually, no, not Nathan Hale. Benedict Arnold, a bunch of other people that are more specific to New England um, history. Uh, Israel Putnam, who was a signer of the Constitution. So important stuff. And George Washington himself made his uh, sort of grand journey passing through New Haven and stopping at the Freemason Lodge uh, during that time. So, yeah, it's... uh, I'm sure that's just kind a coincidence too, Mark. I'm sure there's nothing. Dude, I, well, and that's the whole thing with Freemasonry. They're very vague about like, oh, yeah, we believe in a creator, but it's whatever creator you want. And ever since I've heard this one YouTube channel guy explaining and breaking this down, it's kind of been stuck in my head. And I'm actually really lucky because he's going to be joining me on my podcast tomorrow. This guy, Paul Stobbs from Understanding Conspiracy. And his whole thing is connected to the Nephilim and breaking them down. One of the things he was talking about was how the Freemasons say that they follow Enoch, but he's found out through some research and digging that there are two Enochs. Yes. The book of Enoch makes that really clear. And he's saying that the Freemasons are following the bad or less favorable Enoch. Evil twin. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that's well, and dude, to think about that with like the shining and all these other twin, like you've broken down all these symbols, you know, like I could just say twin and you could probably find like five or six things that mm-hmm. connect to that Gemini's right. I mean, plenty of stuff, but yeah, we're just in this time when so many things are just being connected. Like, um, you know, we looked at the kind of weird monsters in that Rothschild, uh, Candito or whatever it was. Canticles. <laughs> I don't know why I'm putting a Spanish twist on it. Carnitas, Canticles. the Rothschild's Carnitas and <laughs> Taco Bell. <laughs> Dude, I got Rothschild carne asada the other day. So, uh, speaking of Spanish, the the Bad Bunny, the rapper, has this tattooed on his chest. I'm sure that's just a coincidence ooh, too. Rebus. Yeah, the, the alchemical Rebus or Rebus, the unity of the opposites oh, again. All right, hold on, though, because I'm kind of – I want to thread the needle here so people don't think I'm just spurting out random schizophrenic statements here. Um, you know, when it comes to the nine-square grid, like all roads led to Egypt for me because, A, around this time when Skull and Bones was really like becoming a prominent organization – 
Egyptomania was also in full swing. People were throwing like mummy parties where they would like unwrap a pharaoh at like a dinner table or some crazy <laughs> shit like that. What? Yeah, like people got nuts. Like when these pyramids were starting to be open, they're taking all the jewels and the stuff out of the crypts and bringing them back to the United States and Europe. Yeah, they were throwing like all these weird parties to show off, you know, what they had dug up in Egypt. And New Haven has some architectural aspects that are definitely Egyptian. So I said to myself, well, what if there are obviously like there's a model for this? They didn't just like say, oh, we're going to create something in the Egyptian style, but invent it ourselves. No, they're going to look at existing structures and try to model it off of that make maybe like a composite which is exactly what they did with the cemetery which is new haven uh new haven cemetery but it's also the first cemetery of its kind in american history and that uh gate at the front is modeled after the temple at dendera and then there's another structure um that was dedicated to hermes in the city of Hermopolis. And when I led was led to that, I was like, huh, that's interesting. Hermopolis. That sounds like Hermes again. Right. So I look up Hermopolis. Yeah. See the Dendera light. Boom. Look at that. And I mean, we want to talk about like Hermes and Thoth, like he's the magician, he's the scientist, he's the alchemist. So, so real be quick, Mark, before, before we get too far away from the subject, cause you kept bringing up Enoch the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Nephilim. So real quick, if we follow the lure, if we follow the, the mainstream lure, the the idea is that alchemy, right? Because we've been talking about symbolism. They speak in symbols and these images that, they, that they're putting in these movies and the media, whatever you name it, is a sort of other language for them and only the initiated understand them. Well, if we follow the lure, alchemy derived from the Nephilim, these fallen ones that when they fell in love with the daughters of men, they taught them the science of metals. They taught them the science of herbs and roots and all these different things and alchemy. And Chem is supposed to be named after Ham, which is one of the 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 sons of Noah, right? So Noah was probably a great alchemist. And then you had Enoch who was able to ascend, right? The 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 story of Enoch and Right, we talked about the North Pole a little bit ago. Well, in the thirty-third chapter of the book of Enoch, he talks about the North, right? About going to the North and ascending through the North. Again, we've always seen the North Pole, the pole, the pole star being some sort of gateway to another dimension. You have various, various, various religions and and different civilizations. I mean, societies that worshipped the big dipper and little dipper right i mean the 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 north pole the uh, and they wanted to ascend through that and the reason i bring this up is because the story of enoch you know the the evil twin apart is a sort of story of ascension and what is right we've been talking about the, the whole premise of this entire conversation has been about the idea of gaining control and gaining power over others Right, because what is what do the elites want? They want more money, more power, more more influence. And the story of Enoch is a way to quite literally transform into this godhead, Metatron, to ascend through the levels 
and become this overseer of reality. That's what the story of Enoch is really about, right? And I think that's what they're after. They're wanting to either, again, similar to the Rothschild's canticles, where it's about uniting yourself with the one, with the source, with God. Not becoming God, but maybe having, right, the lesser Yahweh, Enoch, right, Metatron, becoming some sort of Godhead like that, where you're able to quite literally warp reality. And again, like alchemy, once you achieve the magnum opus, you step outside of the fabric of space and time, and you're able to manipulate reality from outside of it. So I think that's what that's why they're obsessed with this sort of ideology and these sort of figures because they represent something much deeper. And I think that the story, right? You brought up the the tarot cards earlier. Well, the tarot is a sort of again. Some people believe it's instructions, similar to how alchemy always has the instructions to the philosopher's stone. Well, what if the tarot is instructions on how to achieve this higher state of of reality or of being? Right? I mean. It's just, just, just an idea. I'm sure, or it could just all be a coincidence, Mark. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. You're teaching me on that stuff. I mean, I'm still learning a lot of that, and I get a little lost when it comes to like the chronology. Uh, but when it comes to Egypt, obviously, the gods of Egypt were worshipped way before. Uh, the Bible came around, right? Because the Egyptians are part of the Bible. They're talked about in the Bible. We have some scientific way of determining the age of these things. Go ahead and trust that, if you will. I tend to trust carbon dating. I don't. I mean, maybe, maybe <laughs> they're fucking with us there. Maybe I'm not going to, you know, discount that possibility. But if we're going to go off of the sort of time scale that we're given yeah egypt's pretty old and maybe enoch was one of these dudes like one of these gods these demigods that the egyptians were worshiping and i mean most of the world was polytheistic back at that point anyways so there's a case to be made there that there's like some reality to these beings and having agency and affecting the world so why wouldn't they have affected, you know, groups of people to this day? I mean, something like another race of being is pretty incredible. I don't think people would just give that up, um, whether they're so, here or not, consciously or corporally or whatever. I think that's really where, where the question is. Paracelsus had a, a so right. Paracelsus is known for the homunculus, but he had another lesser known race of creatures which i'm going to look yeah. it up but it's called it's inaki inakianas i think it was Paracelsus. let me look it up here yeah they're called inakianas and again he he only mentions them like one time in one book on a page but essentially i'm, I'm going to look it up but it was like this other race of entities or beings and they were like these chimeras. So I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll let me let me confirm that because I th I'm pretty sure it was a Naki Dianas or something like that. Mm. I was reading again how yeah, Anaki Anakdiana. Anakdiana. Let me see if I can find anything else on these. But yeah, Paracelsus wrote about them. And they were supposed mm. to be of this other Anak. 
And yeah, well, the the I pulled up the family tree of Noah here, and I mean, right? Enoch was supposed to be, I think it was a a grandfather to Noah, but it was like great 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 like seven generations or something. And then right, we have Ham, Shem, we have all this entire lineage, and these were some of the, I believe Noah was one of the greatest alchemists, and the reason I say that is because the Rosicrucians show i've dude i've even seen moses linked to hermes and right how they there's like a, a syncretism there and again it's blurry for me because i'm just now getting into this but there's a syncretism there of wasn't some people say moses was thoth right the scribe or something like that and i got i could be getting this completely wrong but there, i know there's a connection i was reading on on alchemists in the bible because again this was during the gnostic era when alchemy was coming out first to third century and so zozimos right was writing about certain people who were biblical i mean they were they were talking about people in the biblical sense who were alchemists right you have moses transforming the staff into the serpent you have the water to wine those are transmutations you know what i mean like those are 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 stories they're magical and sometimes people look past that like yo you know JC wasn't practicing alchemy or whatever. He was one of the greatest adepts of alchemy. We don't know because, again, we're reading the Bible however it's presented to us. And I think that the original Bible itself, I mean, it talks about the cornerstone and all these different things, right? I mean, that's philosopher's stone. Why did all these people in the Bible live for so long? Well, they some people believe that they had the philosopher's stone, right, that they could extend their life with. You have King Solomon also having access to certain stones. King David having access to stones. These weird stones that they allude to. And I think it's all alchemical. And I think that the original Bible was meant to... I've heard that Genesis is the greatest alchemical story ever told. And it's revered by certain alchemists as one of the greatest alchemical stories that there is. So, again... We're on alchemy. Have you ever heard of the Shabaka stone? No. So it's a relic uh, with an Egyptian religious text, which dates from the 25th dynasty of Egypt. And they think that it was used as a millstone, which damaged all the hieroglyphs that were on it. Um, And if you consider you know, what its shape is, maybe, obviously we can't tell now, um, but maybe it was something like the codex that they found in Mexico City, like the big circle, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that shows the different, the long count. But it says, originally erected as a lasting monument at the great temple of Ptah in Memphis, Ptah, Peter, Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee, the Memphites, There's a whole big rabbit hole with Freemasonry there. In the late 8th century BCE, uh, the stone at some point was removed and brought to Alexandria. Um, But yeah, so this is another black stone. We have this sort of, you know... The black rock. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know what the, the theme is, but there's something to do with these black stones that's you know, powerful. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. that's even akin to the crystal skulls where there are just certain materials that you can record things on. And they last forever. I mean, obviously that's kind of the, 
physical implication, but maybe there's something else, you know, something energetic, spiritual, can't be maybe something that's not tangible. But I want to get back to Hermopolis. I'm, I appreciate the the chart you brought up with Noah and all them. But Hermopolis, like I said, was uh, is sort of, in some ways, this kind of like um, sister city esoterically to New Haven, just what I'm kind of putting together yes. here. Yeah, because what I've found is that, okay, so there's a couple of things we have to understand about this place before you can understand why I'm comparing it to New Haven. So the first thing is, when you walk into the cemetery in New Haven, there is a man buried whose last name is Ashman. And when you look into his life, he actually was the guy who founded the country of Liberia. He was a white guy from Boston who wanted to bring all the African slaves back to America after the Civil War or bring them from America back to Africa, right? That, that idea was obviously a bad idea and didn't work out very well, but he was the guy who, you know, kind of took the leading role in that venture to create the country of Liberia. He dies in Africa and then is immediately shipped to Boston and then to New Haven where he was buried in the New Haven cemetery and not like in the ground. He's in like this tomb thing, like a stone box basically with a lid on it that says Ash Moon. And when you look at the name of Hermopolis Magna in, um, I guess this is Coptic or maybe um, in Arabic, it's called El Ash Moonin. So that would have been the modern name for Hermopolis during the time of this guy's life, Ash Moonin. So there's some other things with it. So remember it's the city of Hermes too, by the way, that's what I'm saying. So Oof. yeah. So remember how I was talking all about the nine square, right? So in Hermopolis Magna, they worshiped the sacred eight. Okay. So obviously eight and nine are not the same number, duh, but nine. Okay. Nine gods are were worshiped everywhere else in Egypt. So some cities in Egypt worship the sacred nine. Some cities in Egypt worship the sacred eight. It's kind of like the way like Catholics recognize like the virgin birth and like some other Christian groups don't, right? Mm -hmm. Like they say that Joseph knocked her up, right? So, you know, it's kind of pulling hairs, but it's interesting that you have this like eight and the nine. Eight is kind of like the symbol of infinity, the egg, Hermopolis is Thoth, this magician, this scientist type character. And what does Yale do? Yale has the Ancient Eight Consortium. That's the name of the eight oldest secret societies at Yale, the Ancient Eight. If you type that phrase in, the Ancient Eight at Yale, you'll most likely get the list of these eight Yale secret societies. So there are more than eight now, now that they've kind of opened the secret societies up to be more like just like a Yale specific term for fraternity. Um, but yeah, they have, uh, or sorority cause there are women as well. Um, yeah, they have these, this ancient, ancient eight. There you go. So 
You got to type in the Ancient Eight Consortium. There you go. And also, you mentioned earlier the nine, right? The ninth gate. Was that the movie with Johnny Depp? Wasn't he looking for a book that was like written by Satan himself? That's a that's such an so. awesome movie, man. Here, check that out. Saint Elmo's Secret Society. Saint Elmo. So, uh oh. So this is Look who's there. Yeah. Exactly. The <laughs> Yale. Wow. And I didn't even recognize that until you pointed that out. You know, so thank you. Good on you. But and Saint Elmo's Fire, that's like a movie. And it's also a phrase that ha- that meant like electricity, I think, before they understood what electricity was. If somebody got like burnt by electricity, they would call it St. Elmo's Fire. Interesting. Um, yeah. And these schools, okay, so Yale is a university. So universities have individual schools within them, right? And the Sheffield Scientific School was like Yale's uh, physics, chemistry, you know, that kind of like more of the material sciences and their more advanced counterparts, right? So uh, the Skull and Bones, Wolf's Head, and Scroll and Key, those are the only secret societies that were not at the scientific, uh, Sheffield Scientific School. The other five were all created. Uh, at the scientific school and skull and bones with its members took over the scientific school and then used the scientific school to take over Yale. So ever since the late 1800s, the society of book and snake and the society of skull and bones worked together to basically like take over Yale's administrative side of things you know, having their members in key positions like uh, what are they, the money guy? What's the money guy called? Not an accountant, but like the more fancy term for that. What's a what's the guy who do, does the money stuff in in like a fraternity? Oh, the treasurer. Yeah, the treasurer and the government, the treasurer, right? Mm-hmm. So they they through doing things like that and having very wealthy financial friends and you know members they were able to influence yale towards that secret society agenda more and more and more as the years went on but it's just interesting that you know with the architecture you know the only buildings in new haven that have that kind of egyptian moorish revival type style are the tombs where the secret societies are or the cemetery Outside of that, everything else is like this kind of Georgian um, kind of what was the term they used back then? I guess classic revival and then colonial style. Those are the major architectural styles in New Haven outside of a couple others. I'm not an architecture expert by any means, but I definitely have been learning a lot more about this stuff and uh would it be neo-gothic is that is that kind of neo-gothic is a big part of the campus yeah the campus has a lot of neo-gothic features and a guy named lee laurie was the sculptor who made a lot of these really interesting reliefs on the sides of all of the buildings with all sorts of different allegories mythological figures you know uh depictions of students and people from history so 
you know, just walking around Yale, it's like a out, outdoor art museum. You know, there's art everywhere. Uh, and this Lee Laurie guy, he was actually like prolific for his time. He did tons of state buildings across the country. I think he even did the tallest state capitol building, which is Nebraska State Capitol or Oklahoma. I think it's Nebraska. One of those Midwest mm-hmm. corn states. And it's pretty interesting. The the sculpture he put all the way at the top of the building is this guy called the Seed Sower. He's like holding a big bag of seeds. And he's tossing some seeds off to his right. But yeah, you know, the, this art, it's got this esoteric style to it because back then in the 19th century, when a lot of this stuff was being created, Freemasonry and, you know, secret societies, they were kind of like trendy a little bit, you know, like especially after the Civil War, like people were joining these groups to like find brotherhood and, you know, become part of the community. So, you know, it's gone on in waves. You know, there was the whole Masonic panic in the early 1800s. And that's what really sparked Skull and Bones to even become a secret society in the first place is because secret societies had gone out of fashion so they went underground you know uh, because they had an agenda that went beyond being you know social organizations if they were just merely social organizations well then they would their purpose would be defeated when that kind of thing went out of style right so that's sort of where you see like the, what was once these debating societies for the privilege and the exclusive evolve into these sort of very private closed off meeting style rather than debate style meeting style uh, organizations. And they became, you know, a lot more selective uh, and, you know, exclusive. So yeah, that's, what got us to where we're at now, where we have, you know, this extreme wealth gap with, you know, these, what, you know, the, at least in the American wealth base, it's like military and then the industry, right? Like that's the old money, right? Those people from the railroad, the oil industries. I mean, right now, I guess it's the tech industry, right? But like what other, the car industry, like those guys, <laughs> they're all in Asia now, but there are certainly very wealthy people in America who made their money out of the automobile industry, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think like you have to consider how Yale has really evolved the whole world just through its scientific alchemy of taking rock oil and turning it into petroleum. That was done at Yale. <laughs> so, I mean, you think about how much the world's changed and how all those people who were a part of that time period made billions of dollars, right? The Rockefellers, the JP Morgans, you know, this, this banking sort of upper crust type group who... I guess pioneered what's now Wall Street, right? And insurance brokers, firms, I mean, hedge funds, like these are billion dollar things that 400 years ago didn't exist. So that's alchemy. That's changing the world. And we're all kind of suffering. We're going through the black 
negredo stage of that process right now i i don't know that it's good like i i'm not like a proponent of it i'm not saying like yeah so just cross your fingers and wait till we get to the golden stage because like i don't think reddening it's for us like i think it's for them like we're just like the um substrate that the experiment is being done in like we're like the water in the beaker we're Mm -hmm. not like active chemicals we're the, the bong process. water mark yeah we're not the pot, we're the bong water we're, we're that black residue that builds up you know the, yeah. the... <laughs> we're the tar dude tartaria bro that's where it all comes from dude yep. so by the way let me clear some things up that have come up as you've been talking right there yeah, is a connect con- these loose threads please because we're a little bit unbuckled today it's all good. Uh, Thoth, Thoth Hermes, there is, again, there was a, some people even identify Moses as Thoth or identified Hermes Trismegistus with Moses or as a contemporary. So I wasn't wrong on that. I just wanted to confirm that, right? There is that belief there. You have the, right, the book and snake. And the reason this stood out to me is because, right, book worms. Well, Worms are also another name for snake or serpent. So I just thought it was interesting that they have this Ouroboros inside this book, right? Mm-hmm. Is this another another pun at like bookworms, right? Book and snake. And then the idea that they call these tombs, bro. And, and what we were talking about at the beginning, you mentioned the Egyptian Book of the Dead where it was like this Ikea manual on how to navigate the the realm of the dead, and it was supposed to be meant for dead people, but here it is again well, at Yale. Let's let, we're both the same age, so this will work. You remember back when video games first came out, they would sell like the books to go along with the video game that yeah. had like all the cheat codes and how to beat the missions. That's what the Book of the Dead was. Like the Egyptians saw the afterlife as like you know the way kids today go into Fortnite. Like you know, like you didn't want to walk into Fortnite, brb you know <laughs> you want to go in and have all the best skins and have all the best weapons and do a cool dance when you shoot your enemies right so I, I think that's the same shit that was going on back then in a way where they're like yeah they just you know wanted a, a reassurance a guidebook yeah and i think that right with all the stuff that we said you're absolutely right. There is some sort of transmutation. And that's what the Knights Templar were trying to do quite literally with the cathedrals where we're talking about architecture and how it's used as some sort of right these resonance structures that they resonate in the world and the ether on a, on a much deeper level. And I believe that these elites that are at the core of all these schools and all these secret societies, maybe they don't have... Because I've always thought about this. You mentioned... I think you mentioned LARPing earlier and I was listening to Tripoli today on Broken Simulation. He talked about how Wells Fargo made fake accounts and they were collecting fees. And I'm like, you I, you were saying something about LARPing and I was like, yeah, Wells Fargo was LARPing with, at, with people's identities and they were opening mm-hmm. up accounts and like they were collecting money. They were extracting money from that. I mean, that again, these are the, some of the most corrupt lizard people that there could ever be. But yeah, it was absolutely, it is trying to change the world. And the Knights Templar were doing that with the architecture. They were trying to resonate on a much deeper level. Now, if it is all make-belief, 
It might just be make-believe, but I think that the way I've been explained magic, even if it is BS, I love this analogy. I love this explanation of Osnarco Longo where it's the idea of tricking yourself into getting into a certain state of mind. Therefore, when you when you hypnotize yourself or trick yourself to enter that state of mind, you're able to extract things manifest things attract things whatever it is but in actuality it's not anything really happening it's you making yourself believe that these things are happening therefore they are happening you know what i mean like it's some weird kind of sort of way because we always think about your your keep you keep bringing up the egyptian aspect of it well there's right the the is it the egyptian right that that sort of freemasonry where there's a there's a root of freemasonry that's 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 really kind of Egyptian in the, in its aesthetic again. Cause I think that has something to do with these symbols that the Egyptians were using, right? Cause language went from like this sort of symbolic thing to more of a written. And then we have these letters now. So it's almost been kind of sort of demystified in a sort of way. And that started really, right. We're talking about ancient scripture and this interdimensional literature. Well, 1611 with the King James version of the Bible and that old, what do they call it? Archaic English. And what, who's behind that? Well, Shakespeare, well, Shakespeare or a person, was he a group of people, right? Or was he Francis Bacon or was he, you know, was John D involved in there? Because John D was kind of sort of at the forefront there too. Like you have all these crazy ideas and it kind of stems from that 16th century, that, that little bubble. And I think, that I have some more material I'm working on that when it comes to that. But yeah, I think that these people's influence is still highly felt today and Mm -hmm. it can't be ignored. Now, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. Still devising a plan, but I got a solution. What's the solution? Buy scene edition three aesthetic in strange new Haven and learn all the details. Don't just take what you heard today I was just talking about a very small portion of what I've written about in my PDF that's available for anyone to buy and download. And if you buy the digital copy, you'll help fund the print copy. So don't complain and say, oh, I want a print copy or nowhere near there yet. But uh, there's tons of really interesting information and I've made it in a way so that people can model what I'm doing. Like, I don't want this to just be like, oh, like, come to new Haven and learn about new Haven. Like wherever you are listening to this right now has some interesting, important history. Mm-hmm. It's just waiting for you to, to learn about. So just like read mine as a model, like and base your research off of that. If you just use it as like a rubric or a formula, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A template. Yeah. Where can people find your stuff, Mark? This was great. I always enjoyed Thank talking you. to you and I, I know we always, we didn't really plan anything today, but I knew we were going to be okay because there's just so much to still talk about. We can dig mm-hmm. away at even the same topics. That's what people don't understand that we're constantly doing research, even if it's the same topic, but you start to unfold a different layer of that same topic that'll just take you somewhere completely different that you wouldn't even have, have thought about going. But where can people find your work, Mark? Yeah, thank you. Uh, my family thinks I'm crazy.com and you can get the PDFs there if you just scroll down or you can go into the descriptions uh, in my episode 
links, you know, when you're listening to the podcast, wherever you listen to it, you just click description and all the links are there. But just search My Family Thinks I'm Crazy wherever you want to search it. I'll come up. There's nothing else by that same name aside from maybe a few uh, Reddit articles from people who are desperate (laughs) saying that their family thinks they're crazy. That's not me. Uh, I'm just the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'll post the links in the description and you know, people know where to find me. TJOJP.com. If you're listening to this on the RSS feed, leave a five star Mm -hmm. review. It helps the show share it with your friends and family. If you enjoyed this, check out Mark's podcast. He's got a great podcast. I listen to it all the time. He's got great guests and really great insight. And yeah, make sure to check out his work. My family thinks I'm crazy.com. Make sure to check out the occultist Monday, the comic book marks in the first issue. All that good mm-hmm. stuff. The homunculus owner's manual. Well, let me see if it'll focus. Maybe not. Whatever. Anyways, homunculus owner's manual. You can find that on my website by Paranoid American. All that good stuff. What else? Am I not in the other issues of the comic book? Am I just, uh, we just all get powers and then me and Chris split? <laughs> they're not They're not done yet, bro. It's, we, need, oh, okay. we, need, we need help to fight the globalists and we need funding. So for those that want to see the next issues come out, sign up for the Kickstarter link in the description for issue two. Sam Tripoli, Alex Stein, Mark, Chris, they're yes. all in it. So it's yeah. it's a funding issue, okay? It's not that it's not done. It's a, it's a funding issue. So yeah. make sure to sign up and help support us. And if you can't support monetarily, again, share the show, rate the show five stars. And I'm probably going to start reading five-star reviews in the show. So if you're leaving those, I might read your review. So thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun, Mark. And we'll do it again soon, brother. What's that thing thank you me. say at the end of your shows, bro? Can you say it? Yes, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Bye. I always do these hand motions too.
Hello and welcome to the Juan Juan Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the Patreon. There you get ad-free content, early access, exclusive episodes, and monthly supporter hangouts. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. If you don't like the subscription-based models, there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 